standing up there in the baptistry looking out over our congregation and just rejoicing to uh, just give you a word of, of, you know, just praise to the Lord, some of the things um, He's doing in our church. Um, sweet family from Sudan, what an honor to baptize them. They came to us a couple weeks ago and said, uh, we want to talk to you. We'd like to meet with you. So Ross and I met with them on Thursday. Um, also, earlier in the week before they came, a young man came who's rededicated his life to the Lord, said, I'd like to be discipled by someone. I said, all right, we can, we can do that. So I hooked him up with a former army uh, guy in our church, and so they, he's going to be discipling them. Then they come on Thursday saying, we want to commit our lives to Christ. We want to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I said, well, let me pray about that. Okay, I prayed about it. Yes, you come and do that. So, so they came, and um, man, what, a, what an honor, what a blessing. And then over the weekend, had the privilege of standing here, and first time I've done this because we don't get many requests to see people uh, married here in the sanctuary, but had an opportunity to uh, uh, help perform the marriage yesterday of a sweet young lady, Campus Crusade for Christ, missionary. Her dad was uh, chairman of my deacons in the first church that I served, felt like 20 years ago. Ashley, can you believe that? All those years ago. And so I'm just kind of full this morning, just kind of blessed, kind of joyful. It's been a very busy week, and tonight we get to ordain four men uh, to the diaconate, the deacon ministry, and so that'll be an awesome time, an honoring time. Those four guys will be uh, sitting here, and their wives will be standing, and I'm going to preach a short message, if you can believe that, a short message on what it means to uh, be an example to, uh, to the church. So, we praise the Lord for what He's doing. By the way, thank you for giving, and we do appreciate your, your faithfulness. I guess that was spontaneous, Brother Terry. They all started coming during the song, so that's okay. And Ashley said, should we, should we go too? I said, yes, let's, let's go. Let's, um, let's follow Adam's lead. Adam, you didn't know what you started, did you, brother? When you came forward first, you weren't supposed to do that, but that's all right. We, we, we forgive you. That's, that's quite all right. Spont- We're talking about the Holy Spirit and being and spontaneous, you know, and let Him, let him come, let Him fall. So today I get to preach a message on heaven. Revelation 22, we'll look at verses 1 through 11. Title of the message is, well, Jesus wins, which is the macro title, but the subtitle reads some of the blessings and the privileges of being on our way to heaven. So Revelation 22, we'll look at verses 1 through 11. And then next time we'll finish up the book of the apocalypse. Uh, We'll finish two years of studying verse by verse. Uh, the book of Revelation, and we'll pick up verse 12 and move on through the end of the, um, the, the chapter. And uh, thank you, by the way, thank you for… Uh, it takes a lot of guts to preach Revelation, and it takes a lot of guts to listen to Revelation. So thank you for listening, being on this journey with us. It is the Word of God. It's probably the most neglected book in all the, the Bible, because people don't… they're afraid of it. They say, well, I don't understand it. And so I hope we've been able to give you some a glimmer of an understanding of what this great book uh, means, what it says, and I just love the, I love the prologue and I love the epilogue. They both begin, it begins the way it ends. It says that we're going to be blessed if we study and keep, obey the teachings of this great prophecy. And so you'll get to see this again here in 22.7. Now the same angel who is showing John this vision of the New Jerusalem in chapter 21, the same angel showed me, John says, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. And it proceeded, it literally emanates from the very throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, 
And it bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Each tree tells me there's probably more than one tree, especially if you picture in your mind's eye this river emanating from the throne of God. There's this row of trees, and then there's a street, and on the other side there's the river of God, row of trees, and then there's the street, and all of this flows from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb, and the leaves on those trees were for the, notice that word healing. That's the word therapia. It's where we get the English word therapy or therapeutic. It's, it's more of a supplement vitamin tree, if you will. It's not because there's sickness or there's disease or there's cancer or coronary issues, none of that. It's for the, for the blessing of the nations, the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. They will see the face of God. Remember in 1 John it says, you will be like Him, for you will see Him as He is, and His name shall be on our foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then He said to me, He says, John, the angel says, John, these things are faithful and they are true. John, this is not a dream. This is a vision. This is full of veracity and fidelity and truth. What you are receiving, John, is faithful. It's true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show His servants the things which must taku. Taku is the Greek word there, shortly. It also can have the, the, the connotation or the meaning certainly must certainly or shortly take place. Behold, I am coming taku, coming quickly, a sense of urgency, a sense of eminence. Blessed, another makaria, another uh, blessed beatitude in Revelation, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and John says, and when I saw and, and heard, I I literally fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. <laughs> I love this part. It, it happened to Daniel in the book of Daniel. It happens earlier to John in the apocalypse. And the angel said to me, don't do that. <laughs> I love it. Don't do that. See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. And it's an aorist imperative. It literally means, I give you the command right here and right now and forever, worship God. The angel says, don't worship me, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he who is holy, let him be holy still. John Jasper was a great preacher of the gospel. He was born at the front part of the 19th century. He was born in 1812, in fact, and when he was born, he was born a slave, and he continued to live most of his life as a slave. 
But when he was 27 years of age, God did something miraculous in John Jasper's life. He, he saved him. He, he changed him. The Holy Spirit of God came in John Jasper, and John Jasper was never the same. And God gave him this amazing gift to be able to speak. And in fact, John Jasper became the most popular preacher in the entire South, entire Southern United States. He was known as a mighty preacher. His famous sermon was called, Son, Do, Move. Son, Do, Move. And he preached that sermon 250 times. One of those times, he preached it at the General Assembly of the great state of Virginia. Now, I don't think they'll let you do that anymore, you know, let you come to the capital there in Richmond, and, or let me go down to the capital there in Austin and preach, but that was another day in America where they let the preachers come in. And man, he came in and he preached the Word of God. Now, I want to quote some of his message because, or one of his messages, because he had to have read Revelation 22 when he said these words, I love to go down the old muddy James. Now, the James River is a very conspicuous, prominent river. Having lived in Virginia and having been on the James River, it empties into the Chesapeake. It's a beautiful area. Now, remember, John Jasper's in Virginia. He says, and I have seen and been down the old muddy James, mighty red, but it goes along so grand and quiet like it was tending to business. But that ain't nothing. By the way, I'm quoting him, all right? Quoting him verbatim. But that ain't nothing to the river which flows by the throne. I longs for its crystal waves and the trees on the banks and all manners of fruits. This old head of mine often gets hot with fever and rolls on the pillow, and I has many times desired to cool it in that blessed stream and kisses the banks of that upper Canaan. The thought of seeing that river drinking its water and resting under those trees, oh my, just to be there. And after that, I'd stroll up them avenues where the children of God dwell, and I'm going to view their mansions. Father Abraham, oh my, I'm sure he got a great palace. And David, oh my, and there's Paul, oh my, Paul, the mighty scholar who got struck down on the Damascus Road. I want to see his mansion. Look, look there. Do you see that one? Oh, my, hallelujah. It's John Jasper's mansion. Said, said, said he was going to prepare a place for me. There it is, there it is. Too good for a poor old sinner like me, but he built it for me and a turnkey job, and it's all mine forever and forever. Wow, John Jasper. Surely he had Revelation 22 in mind as we read just a moment ago some of those same conspicuous components of the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. You have that mighty river. You have the throne of God. You have the, the tree of life. You have all this eruption of joy and accolades and praise, and there's, and there's no sorrow. There's no sadness. There's no crying. There's no none of that which sin brings. It's all joy. It's all peace. It's all living in the very presence of God. Today, what I want to do in this text, I want to walk you through some of the privileges and blessings of heaven. If you are a person on your way to heaven, I want you just to soak this sermon in. I, I want you to get it deep in your spiritual pores, and I want it to bless you. I want it to encourage you. I believe a view of heaven 
will give us motivation and encouragement to make it through the Hades on earth. Can I say that again? I think the view of heaven will give us motivation and encouragement to make it through the hellacious, hadeous kind of times that we all have to encounter and have to endure here on earth. So look at it with me. The privileges and blessings of heaven. Then next I want us to look at, in light of the privileges and blessings of heaven, I want us to look at some of the responsibilities and some of the work that we have to do here on earth as we make our way and make our preparations for for heaven above. So let's walk through the text. Excited about this message? Thank you, Lord. So number one, it says in verse one, John's angel guide, he shows him, he begins this amazing tour, this heavenly tour of the new Jerusalem. You see the pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God. We talked about the middle of the street, there's the river. And in the river on either side are these these beautiful trees, and, and the trees produce this fruit. Now notice this. They produce fruit every month. Now, most trees, apple tree, orange tree, so forth, they produce their fruit in its what? In its season. But it's all seasons now. I mean, in heaven, every month they are producing this luscious fruit. Now, you say, preacher, this reminds me of the Garden of Eden. We got the tree of life, and we've got the presence of God, and we've got the Garden of Eden, and we've got God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That's right. And John wants you to think this way. John wants you to think of Garden of Eden restored on steroids, if you will. All right, the Garden of Eden, Eden exponentially multiplied over and over this river of life, this beautiful, spacious, golden, beautiful, translucent, crystal, jasper, place, and stones, and pearls of gates of pearl and translucent gold. And John wants you to think about all that and how we have gone from the Garden of Eden and fallen, and now God has restored us to heaven above. If you read in Ezekiel chapter 47, you'll notice there's a lot of common language with Ezekiel 47 and Revelation 22. In fact, the prophet talks about in the millennium period, there will be some of these same characteristics. There will be a fountain of water that comes or emanates from the temple in Jerusalem during the millennium. But in here, in chapter 22, it comes, there is no temple. It comes from the very throne of God and the Lamb. In Ezekiel 47, there are trees growing on the banks of the river that bear fruit for its season, and the leaves, again, are for healing. So, it's not talking about the millennial reign. This is talking about the eternal reign of God in the new heavens, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, but when I first read about these leaves being for healing, therapia, I was concerned a little bit. I was like, well, why, why would we need that? Why would we need those leaves if there's no disease, there's no calamity, there's no illness? Dr. John, we won't need you in heaven. We want you to be in heaven, but we won't need your services there. We, we don't need medical doctors there or dentists. I, Praise God, we're just going to be healthy and happy and live forever in these glorified, resurrected bodies. And so these leaves somehow must be some kind of therapy. I don't really know why they're there, but praise God they're there. There are leaves there for healing, health-giving. Verse 3 gives us more privileges to the people of God for eternity. There's no curse there. Remember in the Garden of Eden, there was a curse God cursed the land. God cursed the earth. God cursed the people. Why? 
because Adam and Eve chose to sin. They violated the command of God. They ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, when they did, things changed. And by the way, things are still as a result of the curse of the fall because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and because you and I have perpetuated that sin. The sin is real. The brokenness is real. The terrorism is real. The the murderous intents in people's minds and hearts, they are real, and they are due to the curse. But in heaven, there is no curse, and there is a tree of life that is accessible to all. Verse 3 also talks about the privilege of service. You may protest and say, well, wait a minute. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be serving. I'm, I'm going to be served, and I'm just going to enjoy my time. I'm going to be in perpetual retirement, Pastor. I'm just going to be kicked back on one of them fluffy clouds, strumming my harp like a little fat angel that I am, and I'm just going to have a good time up in glory. Yes, you're going to have a good time in glory, and you know what's going to make it better in glory is you get to serve God forever. You get to serve Him for, you say, what am I going to do? I don't know. (laughs) Won't you just come join me and let's find out together, all right? I don't know what all we're going to do, but I do know that before the curse, God gave Adam and Eve work. Now, my Hebrew professor helped me greatly, and I'm going to share this with you. It goes way back in graduate school. I knew I took Hebrew for a reason. took a 97 to make an A in Hebrew. How about that grading scale, 97 to 100? That'll bless you, won't it, Doug? Just, just thinking about that, all right? I got out with a 67. Amen. I survived. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I made an A. I was determined I was going to make an A. I don't remember much Hebrew, but I do remember this. He said, think about it, class. Before the curse, there was labor. After the curse, there was laboriousness. Did you get that? Before the curse, we labored, we served, we worked, Adam and Eve, they tended the garden, they did what God wanted them to do. But when they fell and when sin entered the world, God cursed the land, and now you have this aspect of laboriousness, pain, ladies, bearing children, men toiling at your work and breaking up the ground and sweat of your brow, and all those things enter in as a result of the curse. But praise God. In heaven above, the curse has been removed. Verse 4, the grandest privilege of all, is it not? We will see His face. More about that later. But we see His face, and His name is placed on our foreheads. This tells me that we are owned by God. We are His prized possession. There's nothing that can separate us from Him. And verse 5 details another privilege. We have uh, noticed this before, but let me give it to you again. Revelation 21, 23 also says, God is our light. We have no need for luminaries, no need for stars and sun and moon. We we don't need that because the Lamb of God, He is the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and, and He does dispel and break through darkness here on earth. But oh my, when we have direct access to Him and His very praise, His very presence will be before our eyes, there will be no need for a light because there will be no curse, there will be no darkness, there will be no separation caused by the sea. There will be none of that but direct access into the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. And so there's no need for these earthly luminaries. And Jesus says, and you will reign with me. 
And one writer says that gives the connotation of responsibility and achievement. Responsibility and achievement as we reign with Him for eternity. Now those are some of the blessings and privileges. But secondly, let me take just a couple minutes of your time and talk to you about the responsibilities and work here on earth in light of the fact that we are on our way to heaven. Responsibilities and work on earth. Verse 6, the angel tells John that these words were given to him, these words are faithful, and these words are true. The same God who gave the message to the prophets of the Old Testament, same God who gave the message to the apostles of the New, the same God is speaking to John, the only one of the twelve, who would not die a violent martyred death, but he will live out his long life there on the island of Patmos. And the angel's telling John, listen, listen carefully, for what I'm giving to you is faithful and it is the truth. And then you have this word in verse 6, he says, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants these things which must shortly, shortly, taku, take place. Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, this word, taku, I tried to bring it out in the public reading of God's Word. It it can mean the sense of immediacy, but a better translation is one of eminence. It's one of once these events start happening, they're going to happen with great rapidity. They're going to happen in great succession. And so when I come to this text and I look at it, I understand better why Peter and James and John and Jesus would all say words like, behold, He's coming quickly. Behold, He's coming quickly. There's always the sense of eminence, not necessarily a sense of immediacy. If it was immediacy, then they were all mistaken, okay? They were all mistaken if it was immediate because He has been 2,000 years and He had not come. He has not come. So it must be an element of certainty It must be a sense of eminence at any moment Jesus Christ can come. Verse 7, Jesus tells John that He's coming and blessed is the one who obeys the words of this book. So I want to give you three things that you and I can do. It will keep us busy until Jesus comes again, until we live forever in in the new heavens and the new earth. Let me give you these three. All right, you may want to jot these down. And they're a little more difficult to find, but I think if you read this carefully, you'll you'll see here are some of the things that we should be doing here on earth. He said, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this book. And that number one word is the word obedience. Would you you write the word obedience under point number two, these responsibilities and work in in, in earth, that we are to obey the Word of God. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And when we open up this book and we read it and and we understand it and we say, God, you are awesome and and God, it's my responsibility as your servant, oh God. Yes, I will serve you forever and ever in heaven, but I also want to keep, I want to abide, and and I want to obey you, God, now here on, on earth. So I think there's a real strong word to us here about being obedient to God. Number one, Isaiah 119, remember that text where it says, If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. God loves for His children to be obedient. He wants us to to live like Christ. He wants us to be Christ ambassadors here on earth, conduct our lives in such a way that we honor Him and 
we bring glory to Him here on this earth, watch this, in preparation for the time that we will spend forever with Him in heaven. Number two is the concept of worship. In verses 8 and 9, did you notice that John, he had misguided worship? And the angel rebuked him and he said, but worship God. Now, now get this. John was given the command to worship God by the angel while he was on earth. Did, did you get that? He said, yes, John, you, you're not supposed to worship me. I'm just a, I'm just a doulos. I'm just a servant like you. I, I am sent to help you and encourage you, but you are to worship God. And, and John, I think, I, th- I don't know what he was thinking, but he just had a, he just had a lapse in judgment and, and maybe in awe, in awe and just in wonder and just in absolute amazement, he, he bows down to this angelic being. Listen, don't, don't be so hard on him. What, what would you do? I'd tell what I'd do. I'd just pass out. I'd just, I'd just pass out. The, the angel would say, hey, wake up, the man, wake up. I mean, John just, he was just like, oh, my word. He just, he just started bowing down. And the angel said, don't do that. I think that's actually funny. Don't do that. Look, look here. I'm just your servant. Let's worship God and worshiping God here on this earth. It's what we did earlier. It's that corporate dimension of worshiping God and singing praise. I I love that. When y'all came forward spontaneously, amen, and you laid your offerings there in those little baskets, that is a very powerful, conspicuous act of worship. Another act of worship is how you're going to conduct your Sunday afternoon and what you're going to do on Monday morning and how you're going to treat your wife, gentlemen, and how you're going to treat your kids, ladies. All of that is tied up in living a surrendered life of worship to Almighty God. We have got to get away from worship just being in one time, one place, Great Hills, 11 o'clock. I'll do that. That's worship. And then I got to get on with real life, man. I tell you, I worship, but now I got to get on. This is real life. This is where God wants us to see worshiping Him and the way that we live. No, listen. Watch this. This part right here, this part right here, if we do this right, it will motivate us. It will inspire us. It will encourage us to worship Him in the everyday life. Does that make sense? I hope that helps you. I hope it challenges you. Some of you are looking at me like a calf looks at a new gate. Y'all, y'all know what that means? That old calf goes, whoa, what, what is that? I never heard that before. Listen, it's worshiping God every day, how you live, how you interact with people not only with people, but with God Himself. Number three, a third responsibility we have in light of heaven. Ooh, watch this, verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Don't seal it up, but expose it. Don't close it up, John, but bear witness to it. And that's the third thing we ought to be doing here on this earth in preparation for going to heaven, not only being obedient to God and worshiping God, but not sealing up, not putting a… Remember what Jesus said? He said, man, put that lamp up right there on the, on the, on the table, and don't put a bushel over it. Don't, don't put some, some container over it so it snuffs it out, but don't seal it up, John. Don't, don't bind it up. Open it up, John. Read it. Let the people of God read it. Let the preachers of God preach it. May we see it, and may we believe it, and may we testify to the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the grandeur of God. 
and yes, the justice and the judgment of God. It's all there, John. Don't dare seal it. Open it up and let it permeate. Let it saturate our minds and our churches. And yes, glory to God, even our own country, oh God. May it be that we open it up and it's not sealed. It's not shut. It's not hidden somewhere. No, 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 brothers and sisters. We get it out. We open it up and we testify. We're not ashamed. We testify. I think that's what he had in mind. I think that's what he had in mind. Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book. Don't do that. It's the time is now. I'm giving you this, John. Read it. Preach it. State it. And may we continue to do the same. And then there's verse 11. Ooh, verse 11 is strange. And I come across some verses and I go, what in the world? They didn't teach me what that meant in seminary. By the way, they don't teach you a lot in seminary. And one of my professors says, yeah, and we can't teach you common sense either, so that's true. What does that mean? He who is unjust, just keep being unjust. Anybody want to take a stab? <laughs> I didn't think so. He who is filthy, let him be filthy. He who is righteous, let him be righteous, and he who is holy, let him be holy. So what I did is I began to research, and I began to ask the question, what in the world does that mean? So I read some people a whole lot smarter than me and have greater insight in the Word of God than me, and this is what one writer said, and this is powerful. The truth of verse 11 is people's response People's response to the proclamation of the truth will fix their eternal destinies. I think John MacArthur is spot on. Quote, those who hear the truth, but they continue to do wrong and they are filthy, they will by that hardened response fix their eternal destiny in hell. And so they will continue to be filthy. They will continue to be unjust because it has been determined. They have determined it. I would rather do this than serve God. He goes on to say, on the other hand, the one who continues to practice righteousness and keeps himself holy gives evidence of genuine saving faith. End of quote. Listen, once a person makes that decision, that all-important decision, whether to accept Christ and live the life of a Christian, watch this, or deny Christ and live the life of an atheist or live the life of a reprobate, that decision has been made and it has eternal, everlasting ramifications. So once you make that decision and you said, I am determined, I am going to live this way, then the Bible says you have the free will to do that, live that way, and then you will have to bear the commensurate afterlife that accompanies it. One more writer put it this way. He says, the verse does not teach some religious determinism where people have no choice. No. Revelation 22:17 17 says, come and drink of the water of life freely. The teaching is simply that. Ready? Here we go. Once a person makes the choice, he has sealed his eternal destiny for better or for worse. End of quote. What is your decision? 
Have you decided? For better, for Christ, for heaven, the new Jerusalem, the Lamb of God, who is the light. There's no temple. There's no curse. There's no night. There's no cancer. Glory to God. There's none of that. But there's glory and there's presence of Jesus, and that's what I have chosen. But if you don't choose that, and you choose sin, and you choose your own life, and what you want to do, and how you want to do it, you, you can do that. And some of you, many of you, maybe you're here in church, but you've already made that decision. Church, you're just here because you're just here. But in your heart of hearts, you have decided you're, you're going to let this worship concept kind of engage in that. But that's not going to have anything to do with the way you live your life. You've made your decision. Now, I don't understand all the implications of that. I, I do believe that people can say, I don't believe and I reject God, and God somehow supernaturally in His mercy and His grace, you, you like come to your mind, and then you're born again. I, here's my concern. I just hope I just hope you don't wait too late. I found out yesterday, and first cousin has pancreatic cancer, and, and I asked his brother, I said, well, where is he in his relationship with the Lord? He says, well, he, he says, I want to get ready. I want to take this time over the, my next 12 months, and I want to get things right and get ready. Listen, you may not have 12 months. You may not have 12 seconds. Last thing I want to share with you, and this is, oh, I couldn't wait to share this. In verse 4 it says, and they will see His, anybody remember? His face. The face of God. What does that look like? When you look in the Word of God, and you see Jesus. You see Him in the print. You see Him in His miracles. But that one great glorious day, you're going to look up, look into the very face of God Oh, the joy that will fill your soul. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace, what a day, glorious day that will be. Remember that? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. Whoop! When, I sound like an A&M guy, didn't I? Whoop. When he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Joni Erickson Tata, speaking of Virginia, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay as a teenager, misunderstood the depth of the water, broke her neck, quadriplegic the rest of her life. She's still alive today, still an amazing lady. Puts a brush between her teeth and paints the most beautiful pictures. In her 30s, she met a man named Tata, Joe Tata, and he began to court her and date her, and they fell in love, and that day came when they were going to get married. And she was going to real, you know, make it down the, well, she can't do that. Somebody's going to have to push her down the, the, the aisle with her, with her wheelchair. But she said the day came, and and I was in the foyer, and I was by myself for just a few minutes, and in a, in a moment, somebody was going to come along, and they were going to push me down the aisle, and, and Joe, he was already there, Tom, I think his name, Tommy's there, and he's waiting, just like yesterday, standing there. He, the groom was standing here, and everybody stood, and she said, right before I was going to be rolled down, the, she said, the unthinkable happened. Grease somehow came off of that wheel 
and embedded itself on my beautiful white dress. And she says, I was just flabbergasted. I was like, oh my, there is grease. And she goes, and I can't do a thing about it. And then she went like, she was, she was just like this. And then she went like this and her, her laurel wreath, her ladies, what is that thing y'all put on your hair? What's that? That's what it is. Well, that thing went like this, okay? Now, when you can't move your hand to push it up, and you can't somehow take, get that grease off, the enemy said, look at you. Aren't you a sight? Does the devil ever talk to you all like that? He talks to me all the time. Sometimes he uses people. <laughs> yes, he does. He uses people, talks right through them. Well, there was nobody in the room but, but her. And she was sitting there, and the devil said, you are not worthy. You shouldn't go down there. Look at him. He is standing tall and erect. You'll never do that. In fact, you'll just be handicapped like this all of your life. Why don't you just, why don't you just get somebody to roll you out the exit of the doors and just forget the whole thing ever happened? And she said, I thought about it. What a mistake that would have been. Because she said, no. And she went down the aisle, and they rolled her down the aisle, and she said, I was still having these feelings, and I was still having these horrible feelings of I am unworthy. I am nobody. And all of a sudden, I looked into his eyes, the eyes of my husband-to-be. And the only thing I saw in his eyes were love and acceptance. You could just see how he adored me and how he loved me. And, and she said, in all those feelings of shame, in all those feelings of unworthiness, in all the grease, in all the head covering, and all of it vanished away when I looked into the eyes of the groom. That's how I feel about Jesus. With all my sin and all my stain and all my unworthiness, and I feel this way and I get down this way, but then I'm reminded I look to him, and one day, can y'all imagine one day, you look into the very face of God. Lord, we give you praise, and we are so grateful. We're so thankful, God, that you're a God of love, and you are a God of compassion, but you're also a God of justice, and you are a God of great might and power, and Lord, you will not acquit, you will not acquit the guilty unless... These guilty ones, this guilty one comes and says, Lord, forgive me of my sin. God, the only thing that's separating me from you and eternal life, and the only thing that keeps me in my shame and in my guilt and in my despondence and in my sin, Lord, the only thing that keeps me there is me. Lord, I pray that people would realize that today. They would say, I don't have to live like this. I don't have to live in shame and guilt. Jesus has died for me. He looks upon me with love and compassion and redemption. All I have to do is embrace Him by faith. Would you do that today? Oh, friend, with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, and it's just you and God in this room right now, just say, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe it all. I believe you were born on Christmas. I believe you died on Good Friday. I believe you arose from the dead on Easter celebration Sunday morning. I believe the Holy Spirit of God came down at Pentecost. I believe it all, Jesus. I believe you're coming again. And I trust you right now. I trust you, Jesus, to be my Savior, to be my King, 
And I want to follow you and serve you. Oh, I pray for you, friend, that you would do that right now. You would not wait, but you would do that right now. Follow this group. Follow this family from Sudan. Follow them to the baptistry. Let us baptize you. Let, let us help you publicly testify to the goodness of God that when you get baptized and you tell the whole world, I believe it all, Jesus Christ is my personal Savior and Lord. Father, I also pray for those that are sitting in this room, Lord, hearts that are heavy and burdened. Lord, they know you. They do love you. But God, being in this fallen world, in this tainted world, some of it rubs off on us, God, and we just, we just need a bath. Lord, we just ask you to cleanse us. The precious blood of Jesus shed for us on Calvary's cross. Lord, cleanse us. Through the blood of the Lamb, through the washing of the Word of God, cleanse us, Lord. Make us clean, Lord. Make us ready, God. Make us righteous. Make us ready to, re to see you face to face. And Lord, also, as I'm praying, I pray that you would bless our church, Lord. Bless us with people and bless us with finances and bless us, Lord, with motivation to keep on keeping on, preaching the Word of God, being a radiant church. Help us, Lord, to be that kind of church that you want us to be. Now, Lord, I pray that you bless our invitation as we stand in your honor. Lord, as we have preached your Word, now we have preached for a verdict, O oh God. We have preached for a decision. And we are asking you, God, to prosecute the case for Christ. And may there be hearts and minds turned from darkness and filth and ungodliness. Now they're turned to light and forgiveness and joy. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? If you can, stand up. Just stand before the Lord. Terry, band team, going to lead us in a song. I invite you to come. You may want to come and just kneel at the altar. You may just want to come to one of these pastors and say, I'm making my decision today. Today, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you come, even now, as we sing?